Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Saturday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at BottomGunCoffee.com. I have another special show lined up for you today. Now, if you're a regular subscriber, you know that the last two weeks we've had some amazing guests. Former submarine commander Ryan Ramsey taught us about what it's like to lead a nuclear submarine crew. And we've also had legendary leadership authors Ken Blanchard and Randy Conley come talk to us about servant leadership and trust. Well, today we also have another special guest. Marjorie K. Eastman will be joining us to talk about leadership and why it's about service. Marjorie is a U.S. Army combat veteran who was called to serve after the events of 9-11. She is an award-winning author, speaker, and entrepreneur, and now she's being called to serve again. She is running for U.S. Senate to represent my state, the state of North Carolina. Now, I've known Marjorie for years, and I've always loved her writing and the work she has done for veteran business owners. I wanted to get her on the show to talk about why she feels the call to serve in government. Now, let me say this up front. This is not a political episode. This is about leadership and service. And to be honest, I think we need more leaders like Marjorie in our government. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Marjorie K. Eastman. Marjorie is a United States Army veteran who served combat tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan. She is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. She is the author of the award-winning book, The Frontline Generation, How We Served Post-9-11. She is now running for U.S. Senate to represent the state of North Carolina. Marjorie and I met when she and I were active in the military entrepreneur community here in Raleigh. I've always enjoyed her approach to service and leadership, so I wanted to get her on the show to talk about why she decided to enter the world of politics. So, Marjorie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm so excited to be on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you and to have this discussion. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone running for Senate before, so this will be this will be a fun discussion. So well, it's a first for me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm right but, um, I wanted to get a little bit of your background up for people who don't know you, um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, tell us a little bit about your initial decision to join the military. Why did you feel that pull to serve after 9-11? It, it was 9-11. I mean, if we could all just go back 20 years and remember what we felt that day, uh, remember what it was. Um, and for me, it was just crystal clear. I, I wanted to help. 
I wanted to do something. So I was looking at all different ways. How do I help my country? And I looked through Teach for America. I looked at the Peace Corps and I kept coming back to the military because it mm. really was my match. It was just where I, I, I knew that's where I needed to go. So that's, that's where it began for me. And uh, you, you actually started off enlisted and, and then quickly was commissioned as an officer. Um, tell us a little bit about that and just give us a flavor for what you did in the military. Well, you know, I listed because I knew I wanted to serve. I wasn't going in for it to be a career or necessarily to do a certain path. I just wanted to not sit on the bench. I wanted to do something big for my country. And so my dad was gave me some great advice at the time. And he said, look, you don't need a title to be a leader. Mm. And in fact, this is what I learned. And you learn this through life. Um, just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader either. Mm. And so, you know, I went in and listed. Um, it matched up well exactly with the with the the job set and the job skills that I was going to do immediately. And after that first combat um, tour, I was uh, assigned to a special operations task force and supported Operation Iraqi Freedom One. And you know, it was right after that I came back and I received and um, uh, had a direct commission. So I became an officer pretty quickly, like you described. And then, um, so I'm a Mustang, um, yeah. and I, you know, grew up the rest of my my time in the military and having that perspective. Yeah, the most uh, the most respected officers I think are Mustangs, the ones that have prior enlisted. So that that's great. And you and you served in intelligence, is that correct? That's right. Okay, so and you did both. You you were uh, enlisted in Iraq and then an officer uh, in uh, in Afghanistan, and you had. Um, uh, you know, you had like more than 100 people reporting to you during that time in Afghanistan. What did you observe uh, about the people that served post 9-11? You call them the frontline generation. I love that. What did you learn about them during your service in, in, in both theaters? Oh, I just um, I love them. Uh, and it doesn't mean you like them all the time. There's definitely <laughs> people that you don't like, you know, personalities or whatever but you love them because of the selflessness and they're from all walks of life and they are there to help. Um, how can you not love that? And, um, you know, it was, you know, there's so many stories in my book where I really peel this back. You know, my book starts out talking about, I want to serve, I want to help. I, I, and then you see, as I grow um, in those, those twenties, especially growing up as a, as an, as a soldier and as an officer, it's not about me. It's about mm. we. And the whole concept of the frontline generation is it's always about the person to your left and to your right. And this is in combat and here at home. So it was that essence of, you know, the people that will will rise and stand by your side and and and, and address something tough and tackle tackle the things that other people might not. Mm. Yeah. And this was truly, you know, we call, you know, the World War II generation the greatest generation. But when I look at the the people that served post 9-11. I think that's another great generation. And I have hired many post 9-11 veterans and they're just phenomenal people with, with a mindset of leadership and a mindset of service. And uh, and that's why I've always uh, loved what you talk about because I do think that it's another great generation that that has stepped up in our country. It really is. And, and you know, in the very beginning of my book, I, I kind of touch on this idea of the frontline generation 
it's not time stamped to like this year to that year. It's any generation, any era of when can you set, when will you and who will you, who will it be that says, hey, count me in? Yeah, so, they're, will, they're yeah, willing to so step up. Yep. Yeah, there's so many generational lessons through all of this. And I've I've seen that quite a bit on the campaign trail too. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, it's, yeah. Um, the bonds are real. They're very, they're very much there. Um, whether you served in Korea or Vietnam, or maybe you were just stateside, it doesn't matter. We have these these connections and these bonds that are that are pretty unequaled. I would say. Yeah, I I would, I would tend to agree. What 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 unique would you say if you look back at your time as a leader in the military, uh, especially in a in combat theater? What are some lessons that you took away from a leadership perspective that maybe uh, people who are running businesses or you know nonprofits may not get that kind of experience? What are some lessons that we can learn from you know your time as a leader uh, in Afghanistan? I love that. Um, okay, I'm going to give you two right away that, that come to mind. Uh, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about you see a light, you don't hear one. Mm. And, um, you know, in the military, we have these great terms and words. We have a command philosophy. If you remember that as commanders, mm. you write that out. <laughs> What's the commander's intent? Well, this is all absolutely, uh, you know, can transfer over in business and life all the way. Um, but, the, but the essence of the, you see a light, you don't hear one is, you know, any command philosophy that you may espouse, um, you know, pales in comparison to actually how you walk in this world. Uh, people will see your actions and that will always be louder than anything coming out of your mouth. Um, so, you know, as officers, you know this, John, that you eat last, you take care of your, your people. Um, you know, there's, there's that essence there. It's all got to be baked in. And so that's number one. And I would say number two, um, don't count anybody out. Um, mm. Challenge your biases and, and your judgments. And I think about a story where I served um, with one of my very young millennial soldiers. And it's not that I had a bias per se, um, but she she surprised everybody because no one expected. But she was the one that unearthed the largest weapons cache of over mm. 500 munitions outside of Bagram. And here she is, this like young black woman, millennial, brand new out of school with her training. And she's the one that that had this outstanding, I mean, talk about a game-changing discovery that we had there um, in that year of 2009 through 2010. So um, it's just, you know, she was just amazing. And um, I, there's, a, there's a whole chapter dedicated to that story in her. And, you know, it's so much about, you know, not just asking why well, why would I pick this person or that? But you also have to challenge and say, why not? Um, because everybody brings important perspective. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. In fact, you know, I talk about it in my book as well. My latest was uh, the, my, my, one of my uh, sailors, uh, you, the, what, the chapter is called No Escape. You can't escape from, you know, challenging employees because we were locked <laughs> in a metal tube in the middle of the ocean. But it turns out my, my, my youngest and most, uh, uh, problem pro my problem child as a sailor turned out to be my best sailor because he just he just had to figure him out and and motivate him in the direction that he was motivated he was extremely intelligent but every time he was bored he'd get in trouble so but it, <laughs> but it was this idea of, of 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 leading the people that you have and like i you know i like i like what you say don't count anyone out don't give up on them 
you know, find That's their right. niche and find their place. And, uh, and, and, and people will surprise you uh, with what they can do if you give them the opportunity. So I love that story. Amen to that. And that's what we need now in our state and in our country. Um, we need that that heart, that essence, that perspective, that attitude, um, yes. because we have a lot in front of us and we have a we we our best days are in front of us for sure. Yes. Yeah, well, I, I I tend to agree with that. I'm I'm an optimist as well. And uh that's that's really good to hear. I want to get on that in a little yeah. bit. Um, but I wanted just I was gonna ask you, you know, the frontline generation was such a great book. I I I read it when it first came out. Um, what has been the response to that book over the years? I know you've won, won awards and you've got a chance to speak around the country. Uh, what has been the response overall with the message that the, the, those messages in that book? Well, I always tell people, I think you and I spoke about this, um, when you and I were talking about your book, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which I highly encourage everybody to read. I have a special shelf, actually. I didn't expect this when I became an author. I call myself fondly an accidental author. Um, yes. But, um, you know, I have a special collection of books that are personally signed that are I've exchanged with a lot of other veteran authors. And it's on a, on a special part of my bookshelf. But, um, okay. you know, what I, what I shared with you, I think, and I share with anyone, especially if you're looking to write a book, is if you want your life to do a few somersaults, yes. publish the book. <laughs> so yes. Yes. it's... Um, you know, I really, my, I wrote my book. I was um, finishing business school. I had my little boy and my little boy was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And that was a major turning point in my life. I was still in the military, like the reserve on the books. I was, you know, finishing up my MBA from Vanderbilt. We have our precious little baby and that just, you know, talk about a crucible. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just a complete shift in mission. That's, a, that's actually when and why I left the military. Um, and I'll fast forward for all your listeners. Um, today, my little boy is nine and he's cancer free. Awesome. Um, but it was that that moment and that challenge in my life. Um, when I left business school, I didn't go run to one of the great consulting firms and get my ROI, so to speak. <laughs> I ended up taking a year off and I was taking my son back and forth to the hospital. Um, and, you know, when he got to that and during that time, you know, it was so close to my return from my command time from Afghanistan. I was re reminding myself that I was strong and um, I was writing these stories down for my son, Hank, because it was going to shape the man that he would become one day because he was mm -hmm. going to be a man. I was convincing myself he was going to be a man and he's going to be a man someday. And he's going to read about Mac and Schmitty and Vasquez and all these great lessons uh, from, from the post 9-11 generation. And so that very much, I, I wrote the book and I, I had it literally saved on a, as a Word document on my desktop. And um, I had told enough people about it and I got enough signs to realize, let's just publish this. Because yeah. um, it is so much the story of who we are post 9-11 generation. And as you learn in business school, if there's like a, a, a felt need or an opening or something's missing in the marketplace, then put, you know, put it there. That's what you do. And no one was talking about our generation this way, that we are an unmatched currency. And some of those deeper stories, too, that less than 1% have served after yes. of our country. Less than 1% has worn a uniform since 9-11. That's a big part of this story that people don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, my life went in a totally different direction, but it led me to entrepreneurship. And it led me to supporting veteran entrepreneurs and kind of meshing my, my love and passion for the military family and the veteran community and entrepreneurship and all that I just, you know, really not, he learned in the military so much, but also what I just kind of 
cut my teeth at and got my education on at Vanderbilt at the business school. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only, please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. I, I want to talk about the Senate run, but I've got to... I've got to ask you about the point the post 9-11 deck of 52 project that you led that was very special and I think it it, it leads a little bit to your character so I wanted to talk about it uh, tell us about that that post 9-11 deck of 52 where you um, were talking about post 9-11 veteran organizations tell us a little bit about that because I think it tells a lot about who you are as a person Oh, thank you. I, well, so my first, this really goes back to my first deployment in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And to maybe some of the listeners that are about our, our age group, or maybe a little bit more, um, they, they would probably remember the DECA 52 Most Wanted, where Saddam, Saddam Hussein was the, the ace of spades. Yep. Well, I was, at the time when I was forward deployed, you know, we were part of that work and that mission. We were printing those off and, you know, putting rubber bands around them, making sure all the operators um, had them in their pockets. So, because it was a nice, easy, quick way to identify the high value targets. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a longstanding tradition in the military. Back in World War II, uh, bicycle playing card actually had yep. a deck of the silhouettes of aircraft. Yep. Um, I actually have one. Um, my oh, husband wow. ended up getting me one um, as a, just a, uh, as a way to go girl, you know, <laughs> when I, because what happened was, you know, I was writing a weekly business column highlighting um, amazing veterans or military families um, post 9-11 who had started businesses or charities. And I was doing it by way of that catchy visual of making them a playing card. Well, it ended up becoming a collector's deck with bicycle. Um, and so altogether, it was this great piece of work um, that it's a bicycle collector's deck and it's called the Frontline Leaders Post 9-11 Generation. It was the first one they did as a tribute to the military since that most wanted deck. Um, so it was timely and fitting and it, you know, it highlights um, our brothers and sisters and, and their amazing work and how they offer an unmatched, unmatched currency here at home in our economy and in our society and our culture, which is so important. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And I do, I think it does highlight like how that's a difficult project, what you took on, which you have 52 different businesses, you've got to get them all, you know, aligned to let's do this project together. And then you've got yes. to get bicycle playing card to convince that you're going to highlight these great veteran organizations. So it's a, it's, 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 it's a story of uh, service, but it's also perseverance and, uh, you know, and connecting people with maybe different opinions and different attitudes and bringing them all together for one big project which 
is a lot like uh, our government. <laughs> so. Yes, it is. Well, you know, it's, I was trained to do that in the, in the Intel community, but I really give credit to my parents because I'm from a very large family mm-hmm. um, and I'm in the middle. So you'd always have to like wrangle everybody to get everybody right. moving in one direction to get dinner on the table, you know? Right, so, right. But you're right. It's about building coalitions. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when I came back from Afghanistan and I was I was um, doing a different job interview and, you know, the job interviewer, he had said, oh, OK, so I see your military. So you're, you're probably, you know, Jack, you're probably good at being on a team. And I kind of bristled and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not a good team member. I build nations. We build alliances and coalitions, yeah. you know, like this is an intensity. I promise you, you'll never forget. <laughs> this is who we are. And, right. you know, like you, you know, in, in, you know, when we talk about government after World War II, 70% of Congress were veterans. Right. Look at today. It's about 17%. And there's a direct correlation between the decline of veterans and the increase in divisiveness, vitriol, not getting legislation passed, not getting the budget passed on time. I mean, veterans know how to work together and we know how to get stuff done. And so it's, it's clean. It's simple. We need more veterans in our Congress right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the other thing veterans do is we work um, together, regardless of uh, where you come in the country, what your religious background is, what um, what race, eth- ethnicity, we're working together to, towards a mission, uh, a common mission, and that is to achieve the mission and get home safely, you know, and I think right. we were on the same team and we weren't, uh, and I think we, we, we kind of miss, we're missing that we're Team America sometimes. We're always uh, right. in, internal battles versus external battles, you know. That's right. So what's one more label? Oh, are you Republican or are you Democrat? You know, I yeah. mean, it's like yeah. as veterans, we start with our identity. We're American. Mm. And we have this love and this commitment to the mission and taking care of our country. I mean, that's our starting point, period. I love that. So why the pull? So why did you feel the pull to serve again? Because I think in this uh-huh. case, if I'm if I'm going to read, just knowing you that this is a service uh, play for you, how can you serve? Why do you feel the the pull to serve again now? In this case, going uh-huh. to the U.S. Senate. Well, I could do a hundred other things. <laughs> <laughs> It'd probably be a heck of a lot easier than this. I'll tell you that. Um, but it, seriously, for me. Uh, Last August was a second 9-11 moment for me. I was a commander on the ground in Afghanistan during the rough surge years. I I knew exactly what was going on over there. And in that war, you know, I've held the hands of the little girls that we helped get back to school. You know, it's on the book cover, um, my book cover. Um, I woke up at sunrise and rendered for a second delayed salute to our fallen heroes. And so that fall of Afghanistan It was personal and it was disastrous. It was reckless and completely. And it just, as I was pulling that back, uh, you know, those couple of weeks and thinking about it deeply, it's the root of that crisis and all these crises that we're surrounded with, it all gets down to failed leadership. We have career politicians making decisions on getting reelected on public opinion polls And that is not a leader. We need people that make decisions based off of conditions on the ground or national security interests, or, I mean, that's what leaders do, but we've gone, we've gone astray. 
And for decades now, we have these career politicians that have just embedded um, themselves in our government. And it was never supposed to be that way. And so it's time. Um, and so why the Senate? Um, that's where the battle is. Right now, our country is deadlocked and we are about to tip. And we need to tip our country right. We need to get our country back on track and be us again. And, and so I'm a soldier at heart. I'm always going to run to the battle. I'm always going to run to the fight. So the fight's the U.S. Senate. And when I did my assessment of looking at who was running here in the state, <laughs> no veterans. I'm the only veteran that's running for the U.S. Senate in North Carolina. I mean, and and I'm running against all career politicians who are just looking for a promotion and they want to stay and put a 10 up. And I just, I'm not doing it. I'm not sitting around anymore. I'm not going to plug my nose and vote for the lesser of two evils or just go, okay, party line. You know, I mean, all of us, we are all there and it is ready, ready to take our country back. I love to hear that. That's great. So let me ask you this. What's it like being a political outsider uh, joining into the Senate race? Why is it so hard for outsiders to get uh, to, to to run? I mean, it didn't used to be this way. As you mentioned, uh, now we have career politicians, but it used to be the, the citizen politician that they would go, they would serve and they would go back to their their home districts. Right. right? It wasn't it wasn't a permanent job class that that's out there today. Why, how hard has it been to break into this? Well, um, I think the biggest challenge for being the political outsider is money. Mm. Um, Citizens United has a little bit to do with that. <laughs> if, you, if any of your listeners go back and look in that a little bit. But the money um, and the power of the incumbency for these career politicians, it favors them because they can take their war chest of the money they've, they've acquired from all these different levels where they've been stacking it up and roll it over and bring it in. And they have that competitive advantage. I mean, it's just like they're starting on third base and, you know, I'm coming to the, you know, and I'm stepping up and I'm at the diamond and I'm, <laughs> I'm starting, you know, I'm swinging a home home. Right. And I'm just like, you know what, don't worry. You know, I am, I've seen the sand lot. I know how this works No, <laughs> So, yes. you know, at the end of the day, it's the challenge is there. That's the biggest challenge about being the outsiders. I don't have decades and years and years mm. of a donor list. Um, and, and if the only other solution to that is, well, then you must, you've got to, you know, if you can bring in a ton of money, if you're self-funded, well, I am a real average, like here I am American. I have a, I have a house payment. I I'm saving for my son's college. You know, I don't have multi-million of dollars to go in and throw in to help and get myself on third base automatically, um, with these other career politicians. So uh, it's the good old fashioned way. It's hard work. And I'm not afraid of that. And it's, you know, you present the message and if you're compelling enough, the money starts coming in and, and people get behind you in all the ways that they can. And, and that's what we're seeing, John, um, our first quarter fundraising, we had the same number of donors. Our numbers actually exceeded the three career politicians that I'm running against. Wow. Um, so we had more people donating at the, you know, the lower dollar level to the top max out. Um, and that's a testament so much to where we are at. People are ready for a fresh voice and a political outsider. Oh, I think that's great. I'm really, really excited to, to hear that. One thing I noticed, I follow you on Instagram and you've been traveling the state and you've been yes. meeting people and, and going to different businesses. And what has that experience been like? And what have you learned from the people in North Carolina as you traveled around? I have to tell you, so we, as you all, as we all know, we've just been through the pandemic and we're still, you know, fighting our way out of it. 
And uh, my husband has lovingly joked with me for uh, an extrovert to be trapped indoors for 18 months. You know, he's like, go shake a million hands. I'm like, okay. You know, but, and I, I am, I'm an extrovert. Um, I'm a natural people person. I love people and I'm a former Intel officer. So I love asking questions. I love hearing from people. Um, and so you're right. Traveling across the state, talking with people. It has, I just wish I had a documentary, you know, yeah. people following me or a little GoPro or something, because I mean, I just can't write the Intel reports fast enough, so to speak on, you know, Hey, this is what's happening on the ground. You know, people are talking about security economy and education. They want, you know, to, to get moving forward. They don't want this, this awful, you know, career politician negativity, all the, all the stuff we're seeing with the career guys I'm running against. And, you know, they're just, they're ready they're ready to just, you know, really forge a path beyond this pandemic. I love to hear that. You, you, I, I was looking through your website and you, you may mention to, to Reagan is, is, is that an influence to you or how, how, what, 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 especially about <laughs> Reagan do you like? Oh my goodness. I just, you know, I was just talking about this with someone else. Um, I, I really like, I, I can relate deeply to his um, optimism. My husband actually jokingly for, for, for many, many years uh, since we first met, gosh, back in 2002, three-ish timeframe, you know, he's always jokingly called me positive Polly. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, not to say my head's in the clouds, I I'm very much understand the reality of life in the world, um, but I am aspirational and optimistic. And I think that's what we love so much about Reagan. Um, and that marries up so well to my, my own natural disposition and constitution, And so, you know, I just think that he's a great example in so many ways of how he created a big tent. Um, Mm. And he would say, hey, if we agree 80% of the time, that doesn't make you 20% a traitor. I mean, he just had such wonderful um, words and wonderful, you know, perspective. And I think that that's so much of the the essence of what we need to bring back. Oh, I love to hear that. That's so good. Well, um, you talked about this. Let me just ask one final question before we wrap up. Why do you think it's it's critical? You mentioned this uh, about having uh, more veterans uh, in 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 Congress, in uh, even in the White House. Uh, why is it more important? Why is it important to get more veterans in Washington? Well, I would say two things. We work together and we get stuff done. Those are the two ma- most salient aspects of it. Um, and you know, what I'd also say too, for North Carolina, it's been a long time since Mm -hmm. we've had a veteran as a U.S. Senator. So if you can believe it, the last time we had a veteran as a U.S. Senator was Jesse Helms. Uh, he was a neighbor recruiter during world war II. And the last time we had a combat veteran like myself was actually Terry Sanford, who, who served in the battle of the bulge. Um, and so you know, here I served on the front lines, you know, in Afghanistan, overseas, obviously. And, you know, we need to bring that perspective in. And and I haven't, you know, bragged enough about my husband, but I'm a military spouse as well. And I get the military family. Um, I said goodbye to my husband a lot of times. My husband did 17 combat tours with the special operations community post 9-11. So, you know, we need to bring bring that perspective. Um, and I think that's very important for our next U.S. Senator to have. I agree. That sounds great. So how can our listeners help uh, in your campaign? 
Oh my goodness. Uh, please check out our website. It's marjoriekeastman.com. We have a couple of social media platforms. I think we're on Twitter. I never do Twitter. My team <laughs> helps me with that. Um, and Facebook and I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, that's where I'm, I'm personally most active. Um, we need your help here on the ground, but we need to also rally support for donors. Um, anyone in the country can donate to a candidate no matter where they are. Um, so if you're a veteran or a military family member anywhere in the country, you can help me win here in North Carolina. So on the website, marjoriekeastman.com, there's an easy little donate button too. And that goes a long ways. Okay, fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes for that resource. And Marjorie, I just appreciate you coming on the show and I wish you the best of luck in this campaign. And I do think that we need more veterans, we need more leaders, we need more people who have done things, hard things, uh, and have worked together. We need those type of people in Washington. So congratulations on, on moving in this direction and uh, we wish you the best in your in your Senate run. No, oh, thank you, John. I appreciate it so much to be on your show. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Ass. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.